desperately lost We are the lone and hopeless We are the outcast Well, good morning. Welcome to Faith on Hill's online Sunday morning service. We gather together every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., online and in person. Now, online, you can search Faith on Hill on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or YouTube, and you'll find all of our online content from Sunday mornings to our various podcasts. We also have the live stream on faithonhill.com, and this stuff usually also ends up on our Facebook page as well. Now, in person, we have Kids Church. We gather together for prayer, worship through song, and the study of God's Word. Uh, we study the same, generally speaking, the same text of the Bible that we do in our online service and our in-person service. I tend to think that the sermons are about 80 to 90% the same. Now, throughout the week, we gather in small groups, and our small groups meet in homes, uh, in public spaces, online, and in person, and you can email smallgroups at faithonhill.com for more information. We just finished our study looking at the life of the prophet Elijah, and starting next week, we are going to begin a study in the book of Philippians. But this morning, we are going to take a one-week pause, and we're going to examine what the goal of the Christian life is is. You know, I was thinking about goals. Uh, we are switching from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And I don't know if you've noticed, but generally speaking, on Sunday mornings, we go from New Testament to Old Testament. And we kind of switch in between. And my goal as the pastor at Faith on Hill, as a Bible teacher, is to teach and and kind of just inject as much of the Bible as I can into Faith on Hill every Sunday and throughout the week. I want people to know the Word of God. I believe the Word of God is life-giving, spiritual food and nourishment for our very souls. I believe the Word of God is used by God to lead us into truth, to know him better. I believe that God uses the Bible to challenge us, to correct us, to encourage us, to lift us up when our spirits are down and to bring us down when our spirits think too much of ourselves in an unhealthy way. My goal is to bring as much of the Bible as I possibly can. And it got me thinking about goals. What's the goal for any Christian? A Christian, somebody who believes the Christian faith, which is this, that God created the world. There is a God and he created all things. And his creation, humanity, fell into rebellion against him, which led to sin and death. But God loved his creation, humanity, so much that he wasn't going to let us just take the punishment that our sins deserved. He enacted a rescue plan to the point where no one else could save us, so God himself became human. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. And he lived among his creation. And he knew our sufferings and our temptations, even though he himself did not sin. But he was tempted in all things. And when he was sentenced to death, he was sentenced as an innocent man who had done no wrong. But he went willingly to his death, knowing that the death of one who is truly innocent would satisfy the justice as a sacrificial substitution 
that my sin and your sin deserved and that he rose from the dead three days later to prove his victory over sin and death and that he was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses. 40 days later, he ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father and he will come again and set things right. That's what I believe. That is the Christian faith in a nutshell. And if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, the Bible says that you will be saved. So the person who believes these things, who believes the good news of Jesus, now what? What's the goal? And I was thinking about it. There were always people around Jesus. And there have always been people around the family of faith. Whether that family in, in the Hebrew scripture was the family of Abraham or the larger Jewish people, whether it's the church in the New Testament, whether it's Jesus during his public ministry in the Gospels, there have always been people that have hung around the family of God, the work of God, the movement of God, and they've had different reasons for doing so. There was Hezekiah, 2 Kings chapter 20. He was the king of Israel. He's the first king, truly great and good king that Israel had had in, in generations. And he sought God for healing. He, he was on his sickbed and he said, God, I've, I've done all the right things. I've done all the right things. Will, will you just let me die? His concern wasn't, God, I've, I've done what you've asked for me. Isn't, I can die now. I've, 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 I've done what I needed. His concern wasn't his, his righteous actions. His concerns was his own health. There was another woman in the Gospels, Luke chapter 8. She came to Jesus and she reached out and touched the edge of his robe because she believed that just that physical contact with Jesus would be enough to heal her. And by God's grace, it was. By God's grace, this woman who had been suffering with chronic, painful, stigmatizing illness for years was healed. But Hezekiah and this woman, they didn't want Jesus. They just wanted healing. Now, we pray for healing. We want people to be healed. And we believe that God heals people. That's why we keep praying for healing. But what good is it if someone is healed and then loses their very soul? What good is it if God healed somebody of every physical affliction only for them to die in their rebellion and their sins? What good is it to know the power of God, but to not know the mercy and the forgiveness of God? Now, I believe that this woman in Luke chapter 8 hung around. That's just my personal opinion. Hezekiah is an interesting story. I believe we'll see him in heaven. But God healed Hezekiah. And then after Hezekiah was healed, he sinned greatly against God. He would have had a better life had God just said, you know what, I'm taking you home right now. But the consequences of his sin after his healing were severe 
And he brought it on himself. Because even though he had done all the right things leading up to his illness, his focus was on his own health as opposed to the things, you know, the reasons he had done these things, the goodness of God, the power of God, the beauty of God. I understand that when we are suffering, it's, it's all we can think about. I was reading a historian a while back who was speculating on different people who have suffered different things. And specifically, they were talking about people who suffered um, during the Second World War. And there are films and movies that talk about how people from America suffered, and some did. People who were in Honolulu at Pearl Harbor suffered. Americans who were put into internment camps because their ancestors had been immigrants from Japan as opposed to other people's ancestors who had been immigrants from Italy or Germany. And they suffered greatly. Very few Americans suffered what people living in London suffered during the Blitz. And people in London who suffered greatly during the Blitz did not suffer a fraction of the share of those living in Eastern Europe, those living in Asia, those living in India, suffered. The historian was specifically talking about the comparison of people who were starved out in India because the British Empire was taking resources from them and diverting it to the German war effort. And he said, how could you tell a housewife living in London having to go into a basement or a bomb shelter every night to a subway station every night whose brother, husband, son might be away at the war or might have already been killed? How do you tell her that her suffering is nothing compared to someone else's? All of us have our suffering, our pain, our struggle, our trial. All of us seek some kind of healing, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. What good is it to be healed like Hezekiah And then in that healing, see the worst years of your life. What about the woman who reached out to touch Jesus and she was healed? What if she had never placed her faith in him? And for the rest of her life, she lived in physical health and healing and then died in her sins. To put it another way, what good is it if somebody gains the whole world but loses their soul? Which is a question Jesus asked. Many come to God to fix my problem. Heal me. Heal my loved one. Restore this thing. They want the healing of God. They don't want God. Others seek knowledge. This is always a temptation within the faith. I want to know stuff. Knowledge is a temptation. There's nothing wrong with knowing things. There's no virtue in being ignorant. I read a lot. I try to know as much as I can. I want to be as knowledgeable as possible over a wide amount of things if I can. But there are people who know all sorts of things about other people, but they never know them. You know, you may know all the statistics about some athlete I know their free throw percentage, you know, for this uh, basketball player. I know uh, every bowl game that my college football team has ever played in. I I know all of the stats for the back of the baseball card for my favorite player. You don't know them. You know, sometimes the, the greatest 
athlete in the world and you know all this stuff and people go, oh my goodness, and you find out they're, they're kind of horrible. I, I don't think I would like Michael Jordan. I, I don't think I would like certain people that have a lot of notoriety. You can know about something or someone and not actually know them. There's people who know all about uh, what it is to, to do a thing and have never done it. They have all the knowledge, but not the experience. It's one thing to know about surfing. It's another thing to ride a wave. It's one thing to understand skydiving. It's another thing to jump out of a plane. A lot of people want knowledge. Why is it that, you know, all of a sudden a family shows up to church? Well, I want my kids to get some, some Christian teaching, some religious foundation, some sort of spiritual grounding, some religious morals. So they want their kids to get knowledge. I want their kids to know God. Philip, he was one of the 12 disciples. He's not a bad guy, right? He's one of the 12 disciples. And in John chapter 14, Philip wants knowledge. He says, Jesus, can you show us the Father? Can you tell us more about God? Can you get us into deeper spiritual truths? Can you make us more knowledgeable? He was looking for knowledge. Some people want power. And the Bible is full of examples of people who seek after God or, better put, who seek after the church family or the family of faith for purposes of power. There was a fellow named Simon in Acts chapter 8. And Simon had a reputation locally of being kind of a... uh, sorcerer, a a local spiritual man, you know, depending on your culture, a shaman, a a witch doctor, a guru. In his culture, they called him a sorcerer. But he was somebody who was considered to have spiritual power. And when the apostles came to his town and proclaimed the risen Christ and demonstrated the power of God as the Holy Spirit worked through them, he hung around. He'd never seen power like this. He had the charisma to convince people he could do a few parlor tricks, but these people were healing people. People's lives were being changed. This is power like he had never seen. And another Simon arrived. You probably know him better as Peter. He was one of the 12 disciples. And Peter arrived and Simon said to him, what what do I have to do to buy this power? How much money do I have to give you? I want to buy this, not because I want the power of God. I want everything that comes with it. Notoriety, position in society. I want people to think of me as something. Give me this power. People come, they seek healing. People come, they seek knowledge. People come, they seek power. Sometimes people don't want supernatural power. They want social power, political power. Why do you show up to church? It's a good networking opportunity. Why is it that you became a a, a pastor or a preacher or a priest. It's because you have position and standing and authority. I mean, there are those who just want to build a following. And so they start a church and build a following around their cult of personality. This happens all the time, all over the place. Others seek God for self-righteousness. In the gospels, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees. You might remember this. He says, You follow the rules of the law. Matthew chapter 23. He said, you follow all of the rules and you make sure that everybody sees you following all the rules. You go out to the little herb garden in front of your house 
And you make sure everybody sees you cutting a tenth of the mint, a tenth of the rosemary, a tenth of the cumin, a tenth of the thyme, a tenth of all of these herbs that you're growing. And you make sure everybody sees you do that. And then you take it down to the temple or the synagogue or wherever and you give it to God. So everybody can see that even in the smallest detail, you're a very righteous person. But when it comes time to take care of your parents, when it comes time to do the real hard work of keeping the ways of God, you're nowhere to be found. You publicly do all of these things so that people think you're very spiritual, moral, righteous. But behind the scenes, everything stinks. In the book of Acts, Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, they sold some property, got a bunch of money, and then they went and told, they gave it to the church very publicly, and they told everybody, we gave all of the money from the sale of the property. Of course, they hadn't. And God, through his Holy Spirit, told the apostles, hey, these guys are lying. And they called him out on it. He said, nobody made you do this. You could have given 10%, 20%, none of it. Nobody would have cared. You sold some property. You, you didn't, weren't being forced to do any of this, but you did it so that you could look good on the outside to other people. People come for self-righteous reasons. I want everybody to think that I am so good or impressive. Now, maybe they don't go to church for that reason anymore. They volunteer somewhere. They're active in something. I need to do all of these things so I can get the approval of people that I can look good for people. They don't want Jesus. They want to look like they want Jesus. Some people just like the show. You know, in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, famous story, Jesus feeds the 5,000. There's, five, there's a crowd of over 5,000 people, and, and likely it's more like eight or 10,000 people. Massive crowd is there. And miraculously, Jesus feed, feeds them, even though it's just a few loaves of bread and a couple of small fish. Everybody has enough to eat. And he's healing the sick. And he's doing all of these teaching, and he's doing all these things, and people love it. And then at the end of John chapter 6, Jesus gives them a hard teaching. He said, if you don't eat my bread and drink my blood, you'll have no part of me. Now we know that he was speaking symbolically of his death and resurrection. And the disciples found that out because they stuck around to ask the questions. What does that mean? What's going on? But when things got uncomfortable or unentertaining or whatever, it says the crowds left. There they are, John chapter 6, Jesus is healing people, they're there. Jesus is, is teaching the word of God in a way they've never heard, they're there. Jesus is feeding them, oh, they're there. Jesus says one hard thing for them to understand, for them to process, for them to deal with, and they are gone. Some people want healing. Some people want knowledge. Some people want power. Some people want self-righteousness. Some people want the show. I want the most entertaining, flashy, emotionally exciting religious experience I can get. Some people just want approval. And what I mean by approval is this. It's one thing to just want to know that like 
somebody notices. Like it was one of the needs that God has put into our emotional makeup. We want approval. I want my parents to be proud of me. I want my kids to like me. I want, you know, you work hard on a project and somebody says, hey, I really appreciate that. And, and, and it's good for us. It's not a bad thing. Here's what I mean by approval, though. And I see this all the time in our current day and age. One of the most famous stories in the Bible, Mark chapter 10, the rich young ruler. And this rich young ruler comes to Jesus And he says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, did you keep this rule? Did you keep this rule? And he says, I've kept all of them. What else do I lack? And for a long time, I've read it with the idea that he knew something was missing. And I'm sure he did. But I think there's also an element where he would be just fine. Even though he knew it wasn't enough. Even though he knew that every rule he had kept publicly and privately still did not deal with the sins he had committed, the wrongs he had done. You know, you could be a person who works for charities, volunteers your time, does good works and good deeds, and then you murder somebody and nobody is going to care. In fact, it will add to the tragedy. You will still go to jail. There's there's nobody who's going to go, hey, You murdered a bunch of people publicly. We all saw it. And the times that you volunteered, the times that you did good things for other people. Oh, well, you know, that covers everything. I know a guy. Not not know of a guy. I know a guy who's murdered, publicly murdered many people. I also know how he had volunteered of his time and been an Eagle Scout and done things in his community. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He's going to sit in jail the rest of his life for the crimes he's done. And I think the rich young ruler in his heart said, I've kept this rule, I've kept this rule, and what else do I lack? I think in his heart he knew that it wasn't enough, but at the same time, I think he would have been just fine if Jesus had said, That's good enough. Go your way in peace. We have the way that we live our lives. And some of us say, you know what? I can see how my life was before Jesus. And I knew it wasn't working. And I needed to surrender my life to God and let him take control because life wasn't working out. Others look at their life and say, I like my life. I think my life should be just fine. And I want God or his representatives to tell me that my life is just fine. And you might say, oh, I know who you're talking about, Adam. And maybe you're right. But there's a pretty decent chance that I'm talking about somebody that you aren't thinking of. Or a type of person, more, more, more likely. We all think, oh, you're talking about that person. But the Bible could equally be talking about that person that makes sense. People want approval. People want the church, a pastor, the Bible, God himself to approve of whatever they're doing. I'm doing this. I want to know that God is behind me. I want the approval of God. I think the rich young ruler came not because he wanted Jesus, but because he was living his life a certain way. 
and he wanted to just be told, that's good enough. Why do people want? What's their goal? Can I tell you what Jesus wants? Well, when Philip said, tell us more about the Father, give us more knowledge, Jesus said, Philip, John 14, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What he's saying to Philip is, know me. Have relationship, friendship, interaction with me, and you will know God. Jesus didn't want to give Philip a bunch of Bible knowledge. He wanted to give him relationship with God. People want knowledge. Jesus wants to give relationship. People want healing. Oh, just, you know, can you fix my back? Can I be honest right now? I got a, I got a muscle. I don't know if I slept wrong or whatever, but this shoulder here, uh, you know, it's sore. And, and, and I got a, a tight muscle in my shoulder or whatever. I'd love it if right now God just healed me. And I get it. I'm not knocking anyone for healing. But when, when people came for healing, Jesus sometimes healed them, but he was looking not just to heal their bodies, but to restore their very souls. He wants restoration. John chapter 21. Peter had denied Jesus publicly three times. And what was Jesus doing in John chapter 21? He was trying to restore relationship with Peter. Sometimes restoration does come through physical healing. Sometimes God brings restoration in somebody's life through physical healing, through relational healing, through emotional healing, through mental healing, through spiritual healing. Absolutely. But instead of just saying, oh, you know what? There's that, that broken step on the, on the stairwell. Let's fix that. He might say, hey, you know what? The whole stairwell needs to be replaced. Let's do the restoration work needed. I want to have relationship with you. And then I want to do the restoration work. I want to bring about revival. After Jesus rose from the dead in Acts chapter 1, he told his disciples, wait in Jerusalem. He'd given them their mission. He'd given them their marching orders. You think, all right, let's get ready to go. And Jesus said, no, wait. For you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I believe that the goal that Jesus has for believers starts with a relationship, knowing him. And he wants to begin to do the restoration work in our lives. He wants to see revival happen in our lives, the power of the Holy Spirit. And then there's renewal. The end of the book of the Revelation, which we just finished studying, the end of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22, is all about Jesus and the renewal of all things. See, people come and they say, I want healing, temporary. I want knowledge, not relationship. I want power for myself. I want self-righteousness instead of Jesus's true righteousness. I want the show. And sometimes, let me tell you, God puts on a show. But I want to be entertained instead of engaged. I want your approval instead of your life change. Jesus wants to bring relationship and restoration and revival and renewal. And where does that leave us? What do we do with that? First of all, if you are not a believer, the invitation is to believe. The invitation is to seek God. The invitation is to reject this world of sin and surrender our lives to Jesus. To believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and I am not. For the believer, we, I believe, are called. The goal should be to focus on more on relationship than on the rules more on 
knowing Jesus than knowing facts or stuff. We should know God as much as we are able and by God's grace even more as he supplies supernaturally the means of knowing him. I believe we should seek personal revival over public revival. Why is that? Public revival can come. I pray it comes. But public revival ultimately burns out because people seek self-righteousness instead of true righteousness. They seek the show instead of engaging with God. They seek power instead of seeking the one from whom the power comes from. Seek personal revival. Pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Pray to know the love of God fully in your life. Pray that God does that restoration, renovative work in your lives. Instead of looking around going, well, that person or that person or that person, I'm just going to focus on myself. Lord, can you help me to walk in your ways? And as we do those things, I think it's good for us to be boring in our faithfulness. What I mean by being boring in our faithfulness? You know what? There are always going to be people who try to like burn as bright as they can and they burn out quickly. There are always going to be people who want to do the big show, the big thing, have a lot of knowledge, a lot of power, whatever. But if we are just focused on relationship instead of building a bunch of rules or relationship instead of gaining a bunch of knowledge, those things will come. If we seek personal revival over public revival, if we're just boring, and you know what? We are just steadily walking faithfully in the same direction towards God. I believe that we will fulfill the goals that Jesus has for us and we won't get caught up in the false goals that people put either on themselves or on others of what it looks like to walk in the ways of Jesus. You know, I don't know what you want from Jesus. I think it's worth for me personally to examine what I want from Jesus at any given time. But I know that Jesus wants to know you and know me. Jesus wants to restore and continue restoring us. Jesus wants to revive and continue reviving us. Jesus wants to renew us and continuing to renew us. That hope is there for all people who will believe. Jesus is the key to all of the stuff we're talking about. And as we start studying the book of Philippians, Jesus is the key. The power that God showed through the life of the prophet Elijah, we just finished studying last week. Jesus is the key. The only way, John chapter 14, verse 6, the only way that we can know God is by knowing Jesus. And I pray that he will be gracious to us and let us know him better. Amen. If you had any questions about anything that I said, if you had a thought, you just wanted to say hi. We're every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. on our building on Hill Road. You can email me, adam at faithonhill.com. We are always looking to connect with people so that we can share in this knowledge and relationship of Jesus that we have. God bless you. May the peace of God be with you this week. May the power of God be seen in your life as we live in this world around us that is broken and hurting, but Jesus brings healing and restoration.